Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person here at some point in their life has played religion and failed to grasp the power of religion. So when Stephen spoke these words of universal truth, they dragged him outside and they stoned him to death. That's how they had worshipped that day. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko with just a little bit of what you'll hear today on Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled, The Damascus Road. At Reaching Your Heart, we believe God answers prayer. Won't you let us pray with you? The phone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Please stay with me for just a few seconds after the broadcast today. We have a very special offer we'd like to give you. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, we gather here today because we seek the living bread in Jesus Christ. And Father, we don't want to have a fake religion at the end of time. The kind of religion that's so easy to have, but so sure to lead us to ruin. We want Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Father, as we open the Word of God, we look at the life of Paul. How he moved from Saul to Paul. And how he was a person who was asked for by Christ, prayed for, brought into your plan by grace. May you do the same here for every single person who needs you. In Jesus' name, amen. The name Saul in Hebrew means asked for or prayed for. When a child was named Saul in the Bible, it meant that someone got on their knees and they prayed for a little boy to be born into the world. Someone begged God for that child named Saul to come into this world to make a difference in the lives of others. And I think that if a child is coming into this uh, world that we live in, that some parent somewhere ought to be praying that God gives them a child of God, a child that will live for the Lord. Before the Apostle Paul was named Paul, he was first named Saul, which means prayed for. He was the brightest of his generation in Judaism. He studied at the feet of the great Rabbi Gamaliel, and he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. At a very early age, he acquired this distinction. He advanced in Judaism beyond his peers. He was zealous for the tradition of the fathers, and he was patriotic toward his country. He cared about God and country. He was a fabulous Jew in every way. In compliance with the law of Moses, he was by all appearances blameless. If any man could have achieved a righteousness based on law, on works and good effort, Saul was the man who would have achieved such a righteousness. There was only one problem with Saul. The harder he tried to be perfect, the more it eluded him. Saul had a hard heart. He had a heart that was chained to a righteousness that can never pass the scrutiny of the judgment day. Saul was chained to a life record that was made up of good works, great achievements, and clear successes. But God was not in the mix. God was not inside where it matters most. Saul pursued a righteousness that looked good on the outside, 
but it wasn't good on the inside. And it was not a righteousness that can bring love, joy, and peace into his experience. Uh, Saul's heart, like the nation he fought for, was held captive to the enemy of souls, and he didn't even know it. Saul, whose name means prayed for, needed someone to pray for him again. Someone needed to pray for Saul because Saul could not save Saul from Saul. Now, maybe you came here today and you're in that club. Maybe you're in the club that someone needs to pray for you because you cannot save yourself. When a person spends all their life trying to look righteous when they aren't righteous, sooner or later, here's the principle, they turn on that person who is truly righteous. And they may not even know what they're doing. They may not even realize they're acting out evil, but they are. And so the death of Stephen influenced the life of Saul. Here are two lives that stand in stark contrast. One that is righteous, one that is unrighteous. One that thinks he's righteous, the other who turns to Jesus for righteousness. Stephen was a good deacon in the church who bore witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, how many deacons do we have here today? Raise your hand high. Raise your hand. Ordained deacons? Oh, we don't have as many as we need. We need a few more. Now, Stephen was a good deacon in the church. Now, we need deacons in the church. Raise your hand if you're a deaconess as well. Andy, you're not a deaconess. Okay. All righty. Now, this spiritual gift is the gift of service in the church. Whereas some might speak and minister to the church, a deacon ministers by doing things for Christ. It's a very high calling. And Stephen took care of the widows. He made sure the apostles were free to study the Word of God and to share it with others. But, you know, that isn't all he did. He also learned to teach and preach himself. And so he was actively advancing the cause of Christ. He was so effective at teaching and preaching besides all the other duties that he had that it was decided among his enemies that they had to kill Stephen to silence his voice. So one day Stephen was dragged before the tribunal of the Jews and Saul was there to see and hear it all. That day Stephen preached a sermon as good as any apostle or preacher that has ever preached in any age. He preached a mighty sermon. It ended up in the Bible. Stephen was a deacon filled with the Holy Spirit who brought people to faith in Jesus. Acts 6.15, describing him as he began his sermon, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, I don't know what an angel's face looked like, but had I been there that day, and had I looked into the face of Stephen, I would have seen a face that looked like an angel. Stephen told that wicked council the truth that day. He told them that they came from a nation that started with Abraham, the father of faith, who followed God wherever God led him. And yet he also told them that their fathers did not follow God, their fathers did not have faith, and they persecuted the prophets. He ended his sermon with this rebuke for them all, including Saul. It's in Acts 7, verses 51 to 53. He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now that's a fine way to greet a bunch of theologians and preachers and teachers. Arthritis in the neck, stiff-necked, stubborn, bullheaded, uncircumcised in heart and ears, don't even care for the Holy Spirit. They never heard anyone talk to them that direct. He goes on, as your fathers did, so do you. 
Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. They never heard anything like that. Spoken boldly to them. Well, they did once before. Jesus spoke that way. Saul was in that council that day and he heard every word of Stephen's rebuke and he didn't like it. Stephen was facing him down when he said, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Saul was hearing that in that council that day. And that indictment is true for every single person here as well. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person here at some point in their life has played religion and failed to grasp the power of religion. So when Stephen spoke these words of universal truth, they dragged him outside and they stoned him to death. That's how they had worshipped that day. And just before he died, he looked up and he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now Saul knew what this meant. He knew what Stephen was alluding to here. Stephen was drawing from the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, that great scripture that describes the judgment at the end of time. I saw one in the night visions. He came in clouds to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, one like the Son of Man. And to him was given a kingdom, an eternal realm, and the like. I mean, he was aware of the teaching of Daniel 7, 13, and 14. And Stephen was telling the Sanhedrin that they didn't have a ghost of a chance of making it in the judgment day without the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ. Acts 8.1 records, and Saul was consenting to his death. And so they buried Stephen and they cried over him. A great light went out in the church. That day, according to the account in the book of Acts, a great persecution broke out against Christians in Jerusalem. And many of them fled throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. The apostles hung tough and stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't run. So what did Saul do to these Christians like Stephen? What did he do? Saul was a missionary in his own twisted kind of way. He went door to door to save Judaism from Christians, to share his kind of truth with them, the truth of a sword and a chain. Acts 8.3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The man who could not free his own heart from fear took those who were free in Christ and chained them. Miracles were wrought by the apostles. He didn't care. The demons were cast out. The church grew in spite of Saul and his rantings. So what did Saul do? Saul went after them all. He wanted to stop the work of God that he viewed as the work of demons. In Acts 9-1, Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus, went to the high priest and asked for letters to be sent to the synagogues at Damascus. Now, in those days, the high priest had no authority to arrest anyone unless the Roman authorities concurred with it. So the corrupt church, which was the corrupt Jewish church of Jesus' day, and the corrupt state got together and they worked together to persecute Christians. And that's a picture of what's coming very soon in the history of the world, especially in America in the Mark of the Beast. Those letters sought by Saul gave authority to arrest and bind Christians to drag them back to Jerusalem to be tried and convicted just like Jesus and Stephen. And so Saul was doing his missionary work that day as he rode his horse on the Damascus Road, a high and lofty, arrogant believer, he thought, to capture the people that were set free by Jesus. Acts 9.3 Now as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. 
And he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? For the first time in his life, Saul asked the right question. It was not an academic question. It was not a philosophical question. It was a real important question. Verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? You know, if you don't know the Lord today, if you don't know Him, it's time to stop acting like you do. Just ask the right question today. Who are you, Lord? And wait for His answer instead of coming up with something for yourself. And so Jesus spoke to Saul at that moment of his life, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Saul never expected an answer like that. I mean, here, here Christ identified himself as the person that Saul was at war with. That was his identity in relationship to Saul. Saul never thought that Jesus was alive to persecute anyone. He'd been crucified. It never entered his mind that Jesus could suffer and be hurt. But what happened to Christians that he identified so closely? Well, this was a new revelation to him. So Saul did one right thing that day. He asked the question, who are you? And he called him Lord for the very first time in his life. The Damascus Road is the road that finds you at the time of life when you're so sure you're right, you're so sure you've got your religion together, but you really don't, and the Lord has to knock you off your horse and let the light shine in your face for you to see that you need to call upon Him as Lord. It's the place the light shines from heaven all around you, and you discover that the Lord is alive and not dead, that He cares, that He identifies with His people, and that He is the light you need in life. As Lord, Jesus had a right to give a few orders that day, and so he gave one to Saul. Verse 6, Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So many people today want to get baptized on their own terms. I've seen this. You go through the prophecies. You go through the teachings of the Bible. And they just don't want to do everything, God says, just half of it or two-thirds. But you know, when a person's ready to be baptized, they're ready to follow the whole Word of God. They don't want to hear God's truth and follow just part of it. They want to follow the whole Word of God. They don't want to compromise and become an unbelieving believer. They want to be a believer in every way. And so to be a Bible believer, sometimes you have to see the light. God has to knock you off your horse so you can hear God commanding you to do what you need to do to be saved. So Jesus said, rise. He was knocked down. Now he said, rise. Friend, Christ doesn't come to you in your darkness to make you stay down in life. When he knocks you off your horse, he wants you to get up and start walking toward that place where you can hear the truth that saves you. Not your truth, not an invented truth, his truth. Jesus told Saul, enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So Saul got up and the man who was so sure he could see the truth couldn't see anything without someone's help. He was blind. He was suddenly a man in need of a miracle, a man in need of a guide. He was a man who couldn't help himself, and so he needed someone else to help him. The man who claimed to be self-sufficient couldn't even get himself out of this fix he was in. Couldn't see a thing, couldn't go the right way. God blinds you in life. If the light of God's glory knocks you off your horse, don't be surprised if you discover that you hear the Holy Spirit in the darkness. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. We'll continue with Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message in just a moment. But first, do you want to understand the Bible better? Do you have difficult questions? 
Have you ever wondered if God is so good, why do we live in such a bad world? What does the future hold? We know that you'll find answers in these new in-depth, full-color Bible study guides available for you with a donation of any size supporting this ministry. The phone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Call now. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And so the leader who went door to door to persecute others was being led into the city to hear a message from one of those Christians that he has set his sights on to arrest. Now Saul should have died that day. The light was bright. His sin was great, but he didn't die. What happened to him was raw grace hitting him in the face. The description of what happened is very similar to what happened to the prophet Daniel. Daniel 10, verses 7 to 8. Daniel had just seen the vision, the mara of the man in linen in Daniel 10.5. It was the vision of the preexistent Christ. The picture of Christ in Revelation 1 is taken from Daniel chapter 10. And then in verse 7, he comments on it. He says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the, the mara, the vision. For the men who were with me did not see in Hebrew the mara, the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great mara, vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Now look at Acts 9, 7. The men who were traveling with me stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. That's very similar to what happened to Daniel. Daniel was the greatest of the prophets who prophesied for the whole world. His prophecies have an impact in his day to the last day. He saw the pre-incarnate Christ when others couldn't see him. He saw the effect of God's word all the way down the timeline to the end of nations, to the great pre-advent judgment in heaven. Saul is standing on the ground that Daniel stood on here. Saul was chosen to be the greatest of the apostles to reach the whole world. He saw Jesus when others couldn't see him on the Damascus road. And suddenly Saul is standing as one who can affect the world like Daniel would with his word. Acts 9 verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The story shifts now to an ordinary Christian, the church, one that you would think would not be that significant. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. In the vision, Ananias has no problem answering the Lord until Saul's name comes up. Look at verse 11 of Acts 9. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas. Now there's something wrong right there. The house of Judas. For a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. That sounds like a setup to me. What about you? The Lord has it all mapped out for Ananias. Saul was in the house of Judas praying. The man who couldn't see, who shouted out threats, who was so sure he was right with God, was suddenly blinded so he couldn't see God. And so Saul began to pray for his sight, and the Lord showed him that a man named Ananias would come and lay his hands on him so he could see again. Now, this is the only claim to fame for Ananias in the Bible. His only recorded deed for Jesus is simply going to someone else's house and touching them so they could see. Now, you may not feel skilled at anything in the church except the gift of touching people's lives. You may not be a great preacher or teacher. You may bungle most of what you do. You may burn the food at potluck. 
You may accidentally drop the broom on someone's feet as you're a deacon. You may knock a chair over as you're setting up. I don't know. I've seen this here. But if you have a talent, let's say half a talent, and you use that as God calls you to use it, friend, if Christ sends you to someone's house to touch his or her life, you may affect the world by that single act of kindness and create an Apostle Paul. Affect the world by touching the life of someone who will reach to the ends of the earth in Jesus' name. You may not be a great teacher of the word, but you may affect the life of someone who will share the world in a manner you have never dreamed of and will never achieve in your own life. And so faithfulness in the church in the smallest of duties becomes part of God's plan in affecting the world in the farthest realm. Ananias was not jumping over barrels to do the Lord's will that day. This was not a job he wanted to have. He began to object to the Lord about his selection of converts here. Him, him, him. Come on, Lord, him. Look at Acts 9.13. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. Are you sure you got it right today? I mean, is this vision a vision or maybe a nightmare? Then Jesus tells Ananias why this man is so important to him. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias didn't argue with the Lord anymore. He said, yes, sir, Lord. He got up, he left his house, he went to the street called Straight to the house of Judas of all things. And the name Judas seemed appropriate for the likes of Saul. Judas betrayed the Lord, and Saul persecuted those who loved the Lord. Maybe this was Judas's Damascus townhouse or something. Ananias found Saul in the house of Judas. Jesus would have reached Judas who betrayed him if he hadn't taken his life first. Now we know in the book of Acts that early on the disciples, by casting lots, choose a replacement for Judas. There's no evidence that was God's choice. God did allow it to happen. But as you read the storyline in the book of Acts, it becomes very clear that Saul is the one that Jesus calls to replace Judas. Saul is the one who stands where Judas could have stood. The heart of God was good enough to forgive Judas, but Judas took his life and did not allow grace to become a factor in him. So God sought out someone like Judas to save him, to restore him. And so Ananias is sent to the house of Judas, metaphorically speaking, to find the great missionary to the Gentiles. Friend, Jesus forgives. Jesus restores. There is grace in the heart of God. Saul was the apostle that Jesus chose in the book of Acts to replace his betrayer. The disciples cast lots for Matthias, but Jesus chose Saul as his chosen instrument to the world. Acts 9.17 So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Of all the things that Ananias could call Saul that day, the list was long and odious. Persecutor, parasite, urchin, evil reviler, son of the devil, monster of a man, tormentor, terrorist, troublemaker. 
No, none of these that day. Just Brother Saul. Brother Saul. That day Saul discovered that Jesus is a friend who seeks to save the worst of sinners, who thinks he's doing the work of God. He seeks to save the persecutor of his people. That day Saul discovered that Christ is Lord and that his people who follow him are brethren in the fellowship of the Lord. Saul knew the ancient psalm that spoke the truth in this way. Psalms 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down upon the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The dew and the oil and the psalm represent the Holy Spirit that comes when they flow from the high priest to the brethren. And so Saul was accepted that day into Jesus by a brother. And he was accepted as a brother. Not because of works of righteousness. Saul's righteousness was really nothing but rags. But because he prayed and he asked God to forgive his sins and someone prayed for him and the Lord Jesus asked for him, that day he was healed and restored. And God forgave him all his sins and he opened his eyes. And God made Saul a member of the family that day. Saul's name means asked for, prayed for. In Jesus' name, Ananias asked God for Saul and Jesus asked God too. Brother Saul... My brother Saul. We pray this broadcast has ministered to you today. And if it has, would you consider a financial contribution of any size? You can go to reachingyourheart.com right now if you'd like to help this ministry continue to bring you these messages here on this station. Also, for a donation of any size, we'll send you the book Soul Care, Becoming Whole in the Broken World. Soul Care is a small 64-page volume filled with practical information on how you can grow as a Christian and even thrive in the tough times ahead. Call now for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Please stop by the website reachingyourheart.com to listen to this message again. That's reachingyourheart.com. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, make sure you stop by the worship service. You can find directions at reachingyourheart.com. We do hope you'll join us in person at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707.